Hi, if you're looking for greater hope, assurance, and confidence through the shifting sands of life, then join me on today's episode as we dig deep into the Bible to discover rock-solid truth for life and living from the God of the Bible. I'm your host, Scott Keffer. Okay, on that day, some Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus and questioned him, asking, Teacher, Moses said, if a man dies having no children, his brother as next of kin shall marry his wife and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers with us. The first married died, and having no children, left his wife to his brother. So also the second and the third down to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had married her. But Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not understanding the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. But regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So here they are, more questioning of God. And of course, the Sadducees were the liberal theologians of their time. They were anti-supernaturalists. They didn't believe in anything supernatural. And only in the first five books, Pentateuch of Moses, Barclay says they were wealthy, they were aristocratic, and they were the governing class. So they show up with Jesus, and they propose to him a riddle. Riddle me this, Riddler hoping to ridicule the Lord Jesus. How many of you, before you were believers, thought you had questions that boxed God in the corner, that proved that God didn't exist, that exposed God for being a fraud, right? How many of you have friends or family members, right? Now that you're believers who have questions that they assume pushed God into the corner, exposed God for being a fraud, right? And assume, now I've got you, I've got you, right? And you're caught off guard sometimes, aren't you? And how many have felt like I need to answer every question? Well, the answer is you don't. God is not caught off guard. He doesn't feel the need to answer every question. He's not pushed back into the corner because our God is free. Our God reigns. He doesn't need to answer anyone's questions, frankly. Right? He's not, he's not caught off guard, he's not pushed into a corner. So it's just a good reminder. So they give him this riddle, and it's about a Leverite marriage. If a uh, married man died childless, it's his brother's responsibility to marry that one and impregnate her, and then that heir is the heir of their brother. So they said not once, but twice, but three times, four times, five times, six times, seven. So who's her husband, right? So Jesus answered, what did he say? You are mistaken. <laughs> you are mistaken. He says, because you do not understand the scriptures. They were mistaken, not understanding the scriptures. So the Greek word literally means they were deceived. 
They were led astray. They were caused to, literally the word means caused to wander off the path. They were caused to wander off the path because they didn't know, remember, or appreciate the scriptures. When we first came to Christ, we were going to Westminster Presbyterian Church, and the pastor of the church, Laird Stewart, was the head of the Presbytery in Pittsburgh. And as we went through D. James Kennedy's course, Evangelism Explosion, you had to pick a partner. So I was excited, so I picked the pastor of the church. So every week you had to kind of check in and you tell him what you were doing. And then you were also learning the gospel presentation. You had to share that with him. And at the end, you had to give it to you know, the, your partner. Supposedly, this is your prayer partner. supposed to share it with your prayer partner and record it. I get the feedback on it. So as we're meeting each week, he said, oh, well, here's what you need to do. You need to go to the, uh, because I was going over to Pittsburgh Theological Seminary, getting books over there. He said, here's the, you need to get this book, this book, and this book, which I took out. And what they did is explain to me why the book, the very beginning, the Old Testament, was just myth. Interesting stories, but they're a myth, and why you really couldn't trust them. And so he began to have conversations with me about you know, the Bible is interesting, it has, you know, points, but it's just a book, just like every other book. So at the end of the time, <clears throat> I would share with him, you know, we, were, we, were, we would be going on the north side and we'd knock on doors and give the gospel and we'd go into the mall back when you could do that and, you know, do questionnaires and do all that kind of stuff. And he was saying, whoa, boy. So at the end of the period of time, I'd share the gospel with him. And he said, you can't know. I said, really? He said, oh, no, no. He said, you're like my sister. Really? What's your sister like? She believes you can know. I said, oh, it does say in 1 John, right, these things I've written to you in order that you may know that you have eternal life. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. Yeah, but you can't know. That was interesting. It was shortly after that we exited. <laughs> That's right. We exited out of there. But it was an interesting journey because for me it was surprising because as I was, as God was moving on my heart and I was reading the Bible, which was the zippered Bible that Beth bought me, which was astounding to me that anybody would put a zipper on a book. It just seemed weird. Why would you put a zipper on a book? You know? And I'm, I'm reading in their King James version. They had to sort of go through the King James stuff. And I'm tuning in the radio in my Fiat Strata driving into Pittsburgh, ready to park at the stadium because it was 75 cents. You could park at the stadium and you could walk across the bridge and having no money, that was the best place to park. So I tuned in and John MacArthur said, what is the Bible? I remember thinking about that, what is the Bible? And it really struck me, I kept thinking, what is the Bible? I don't know God, I don't know who God is, but you can't write a book you can't write a book and sustain a book, so it can't be much of a God. I don't know about God, but I remember that conversation. So the scripture and understanding the scripture has been sort of deeply woven into my gut. We were agents of the, 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 yeah, the Bible Society, whatever, which printed up Bibles in, in languages around. So there, surely, was the woman who ran the Bible Distribution Center, and she taught me also the love of God's Word and studying God's Word. And so that's been woven into us literally from the beginning. And then it was really 
shortly after that that I met Lee Twombly, because I said to God, I'm going to do what I always do, which is I start strong and I die. <laughs> Finish, right? My, my mother always said, my friends came and said, geez, he's weird. You know, and she said, well, it's okay. It'd be like vitamins. He'll, you know, he'll get really interested in it and then it'll fade out, you know. And I said to God, that's me. I start books and I don't finish them. I start airplane models, I don't finish them. If I'm going to finish this race, you have to be the one. And he got me to be Lee Twombly. And literally, I was at Elby's with Jim Leckie, David Good, and John Monroe. And that was when John Monroe really was brought to pastor here, right? And that was sort of the beginning. And Jim Leckie introduced me to Lee Twombly. And Lee Twombly was with the Navigators. He's retired from there. And there I learned to you know, memorize and apply and, and disciple and all the things that have been so important. But the scriptures are, have been at the center of that. And at the very beginning for God, he made it really clear how important it was to understand what the scriptures are and decide what role are they going to play in your life, what role. So that was really, that was really important to me. So here they were. These were men who were deeply studied in the scriptures. So what was the deal? Well, Jesus speaks to that in John, and he says, you search the scriptures. Why? Because you think that in searching the scriptures, right, that you have eternal life that testify of me, and you're unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. So what does that mean? They believed in they, that they had the ability on their own to study and master the scriptures and that it is in the mastering of the scriptures that they would have life. Jesus said, you missed it because the scriptures speak of me and you're unwilling to come to me. And I love this as he's walking with the man in Luke. He says to them, oh, foolish men and slow of heart. Slow of heart to what? To believe. He says, you're slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. He said, was it not necessary for, the, for Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Right, so you think about, people say, well, I don't study the Old Testament. God's so different there, and he's, you know, he's just, you know, I, I study the New Testament where Jesus has shown up. Well, here's what Jesus said. Here's where I show up at the very beginning. At the very beginning, he says, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in, underline, all the scriptures have not deeply walked and waded through the Old Testament. You will not understand the New Testament. You will not appreciate the depth of who the Lord Jesus is. We take people through the Old Testament, it's like, Bang, bang, bang. Really, Jesus there, Jesus there, Jesus there. Well, Jesus everywhere in all the scriptures from Moses and beyond. And really, before that, let us make them in our image, right? He shows up for us early before that. It is in the Old Testament that you will understand the depth of the New Testament. There's a new covenant coming. So it's a great reminder that you can't understand the Word of God apart from coming to God. Let's say Psalm 119.18, Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from thy law. So you should never come to the Scriptures 
not in your personal one-on-one time for Bible study time without seeking the assistance of the one who can open your eyes. Because you can't understand them in your own capability. can't get it. You can start to rely on your ability to look at, right, do word studies and all of that stuff. And it's easy to kind of slide into, I know how to do this, or I know what this says. I've been down this road before. I think one of the fun things that we go through the scriptures in our Bible study with folks is for people to go through places they've been many times before and to see things they've never seen before. And so the longer you are serious about your study of the word, you can start to depend on your own capability or start to depend on previous revelation, if you will, right? God has shown me this before. Oh, ho, hum, I know the answer to that. Well, it's just a, it is a great reminder for us, right? Because he says, this is what's going to happen when he comes, the Holy Spirit. He will disclose the things concerning me. So the scriptures, apart from the Holy Spirit, you can't discern, right? It requires the Spirit of God to unfold it for you. I have to remind myself, I say, anointed preparation. The, the word there is cold preparation. Think about everything that the soldier had to do, from armor, right, to the, the equipment, the, the, the clothing, the horse had to be all set, equipment on the horse. Horse is prepared, fully prepared, but victory belongs to the Lord. So I have to say to myself, anointed preparation, anointed proclamation. Both, right, we need both. You need his anointing when you're in the scriptures. So just a reminder, the Holy Spirit, he will glorify me, in fact, in Ephesians 1, Paul prays, Lord, I pray that, first he says, that you would give to them a spirit of wisdom and revelation, a spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of you, and that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened, that they would know the hope of this calling, the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints, and the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. So he says, Lord, give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. That makes sense? Right? So Paul is praying for his people, which means he's continuing to pray. Continuing to pray. Something you should pray for. Something I pray for you all when we pray for you on a regular basis, almost daily, for those folks who are in here, that God would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. So you have to be willing to come to him. You can't understand the word of God. You can't depend on your own ability You've got to come to him. So there's a question for you. If, if you were to define what is the word of God? What is the Bible? Okay, what is the Bible? What is the Bible? I'll get that question over the years. It was a question I had when I sat in my Fiat Strata in the parking lot at the Pittsburgh Steeler parking lot and said, what is the Bible? The word of God. His teaching, okay, revealing himself through his son, Jesus. Anybody else by anything different? God's love letter, okay, revealing his supremacy and the way to heaven through Jesus, right? The story of reality, the beginning, the end, and everything in between. That's important. What's on the cover? The Holy Bible, the scriptures, right, the scriptures, owners, 
manual. And more importantly, what happens all the time I don't. <laughs> what, what, uh, how do you fix the broken? <laughs> oh, you think about that, right? Because you tend to do this is what I'm supposed to do. No, this is what I don't do. This is what I don't do. This is not just the owner's manual. This is what this is how he fixed, right? The fact that I don't do, right? Holy scripture. Holy scripture. Right? And the fact that we have, you know, sixteen Bibles at home and forty-two translations, right, tends to take the word of God and kind of make it ordinary. And the nature of sin is you take what is extraordinary and make it ordinary. We make the things of God pedestrian. Because there were 400 years when God did not speak, right? When God did not speak, when God was silent, right? So we live on this side of it that God has spoken. Uh, so it's important to understand. So let's read this from Hebrews. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joint and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So here's what's interesting about scripture. It is alive. It's not just words on a page, it is alive. It's just the weirdest thing. I can remember reading the Bible at the beginning, and I thought, I don't know what this is, but it's not just a book. I mean, I just sense that, right? The word of God, why? Because it's working, living and active. And it's just a reminder, as interesting as it is to read books about the Bible, it ain't the same as the Bible. Because it's not a lie, right? Commentary, devotional, all of those are not a lie. His word is a lie. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit. How do you divide your soul and spirit of both joints and Marrow and worse, or better, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Which, Joe, by the way, more deceitful than, oh, well, it's easy to deceive myself. I'm really good at it. I don't need a manual. I don't need help. I don't need seven steps to deceive myself. I can do it really well. You read God's word on a regular basis. It does not allow you to do it, does it? It reveals, it reveals to you, right? It is why, you know, I learned early on, line upon line, precept upon precept, why is that? Why don't I teach subjects? Very rarely will I take a subject. Finish strong, that's a subject. Finish well, right, I have subject. I don't do that. Why? Because it forces me through the stuff I like to read and, and the stuff I don't like to read, right? It pushes you through. God's word is alive, it's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's important, let's read this. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Adequate's not the greatest definition, it's really fully, right? Adequate is complete, equipped for every good work. What's it good for? Profitable. It means it's full of profit. And then lastly, let's read from Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, 
Rejoice in the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Warning, right? Restoration of the soul, opening of the eyes. So put down there, what's the greatest value to you of the Word of God? What's the greatest value to you of the Word of God? In a world that is fraught with falsehood, absolute truth, have really taken a back seat in the last decade or so. And one of the values of Scripture is absolute truth. And we need not apologize to anybody for holding convictions based upon the absolute truth of Scripture. No matter what the world says in terms of narrowness, bigness, all these words that come out of the woodwork, the absolute truth of Scripture uh, through all of that rhetoric. Oh, absolute truth. In other words, it's the laser level. Who else? If the rise to standard and everything else you want. People, people pray, Lord, answer, answer me, help me, right? And then they don't go to where he answers. Like I said, it's like texting, turning your phone on. Like he never answers. Well, wait a minute, turn your phone back on. Here's, here's where he answers in scripture, right? Conviction. Conviction. Oh, I hate that, don't you? Dang. Conviction. I don't know how many, you still know those stats, how many, how many cultures, people, groups that don't have scriptures in their language, right? The fact that we have multiple <laughs> variations in our language. Also, the good work that's happening as somebody's bringing scripture into the language of local you know, tribes around the world. As we move to the end of days, that needs to happen, right? The scripture would, you know, God's word would get throughout the entire world, cover the world, and then he's coming back, something like that. So again, for all of us, because we're, you know, if you're in a, if you're in a Bible-believing church and you're in a study and whatnot, it can, it's natural that we start to the value of God's word gets diminished, or the sense that I have it, or I got it, or I, you know, um, I know that's right. So it's a good, it's kind of good to reboot fresh and anew, and to revalue what this is. More desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey in the drippings of the honeycomb. By them thy spirit, thy servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. I, oh, how I love thy law is my meditation all the day. Thy commandments make me wiser than my enemies. I understand more than my teachers, right? I understand more than the aged because I have observed thy precepts, right? His word, very powerful. And Jesus said, you are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. You want to be cleansed, you want to be refreshed, you want to be renewed, you want to be revived. Let the word of God rush through you. And remember, we're not coming to a book, we're coming to him. We're coming to him who speaks, it speaks living, it speaks alive. So when I come here, I'm not just looking at your word, Lord, I'm sitting with you. Give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. It's to see more of who you are, right? 
They continue to be wow. You remember, he's just cracked the door of his glory. He has just cracked the door of his glory. We're just seeing a little ray of the sun. There's, there is tons of glory behind that. And how many are constantly amazed at the depth of God's word? You go back and you say, I know this, and you go, oh, well, I didn't know that. Right? But it's not about accumulating knowledge. It's being in awe of him. That's what we're doing. We're not accumulating knowledge or answers. As evangelicals, we try, you know, we kind of get, we kind of get our confidence in the fact that we know the answers. Don't seek to know the answer. Seek to know him who is the answer. Seek to know him who is the answer. Yes. That's why Dufay, when he leads how to, how, to, how, to, how to lead people to Christ without an argument, how to share the gospel without an argument, he has unbelievers read. What is that? Read, would you read that, please, for me? What does that say to you? Would you read that again? What, uh, oh, would you read that, please? Why? Because it's kind of washing through, right? The Word of God does its work. Okay, so he says, the very first thing is you're mistaken because you do not understand the Scriptures. Nor they didn't understand the power of God, nor the power of God. <clears throat> they denied supernatural truths. You know, the story, I've shared that story before. I'm having lunch with Mike Haliak, and I'm telling him about my sister who has an inoperable brainstem tumor. And she goes to UCLA. UCLA says, this is an MRI. You have an inoperable tumor. We're going to radiate it starting on Monday. And likely within 12 months, you'll be in a wheelchair, and you're probably not going to live more than a year. So I'm having lunch with Mike Elliott. I'm telling him about that. And he said, hey, have you, do you know about the Brain Tumor Research Center in San Francisco? His son, Michael Haliak, the doctor, he said, I'll get a connection. I said, no, don't worry about it. I'll, we'll figure, I'll figure it out. So I leave him a message Monday, Friday. But that was Wednesday. Friday morning, I'm praying in my office. The phone rings. And it's Dr. George Wilson, who's the preeminent brain tumor. Uh, he's the head of the Brain Tumor Research Center. So miracle that a doctor called me back. <laughs> Is that a miracle or what? Right? A doctor calls you back. Head of the Brain Tumor Research Center. He says, how did you get my name? I don't understand. This is a referral center. You can't come here directly. I told the story. He said, OK, here's what you do. Get the test, send it to me, and I'll look at it. Twice a week, we have a round table of all our doctors. I called my sister up. She said, nope. We're not doing that. We've been to UCLA. We've been through this. We're, we're just, no, 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 no. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. You know, I said, no, Karen, listen to me. Just do this. I'm telling you, God is at work. Please do this. So she said, yes. Is that a miracle? My sister listens to me? Miracle. And her husband's at home. So they drive. They get the test. They, they uh, overnight them. Dr. Charlie Wilson gets them. He calls back. He says, do not do anything. The MRI is not even sufficient to make a good diagnosis. You need to get up here. Get to San Francisco. Yes, they had no money. How's that going to happen? We have three kids, all of that stuff. So we share that with Jim Leckie and uh, Jim and Anna Leckie. And <clears throat> he calls me up, Anna. Jim and Anna call me up and say, we have uh, one of our missionaries that we support in Africa Spent us $500 and said, God moved on our heart to send you $500. 
We're using that to buy you a ticket, because we had not been have a whole lot of money either, to, to fly out to uh, uh, LA, Los Angeles, and take care of Karen's kids so she can go to, to San Francisco. So I fly out to watch her kids. We didn't have any at the time. That's a miracle. Another miracle? I'm going to watch three kids. They were young, and they, my, my sister was a let them do whatever they want to do, including standing on the table and all sorts of stuff. When Sergeant Kepper showed up, I, like, that I spent, I, I don't know how long I was out there, I didn't kill them. Was that a miracle? I, I had them I had walking around the block, and anyway, that was very, she goes to San Francisco, gets the test, and Charlie Wilson said, it's not an inoperable brain tumor, it's an operable brain tumor, it's not in the brain stem, it's outside, and I'm going to operate on you. So eight-hour surgery, my dad flew to uh, San Francisco to be with my sister, and in the meantime, before she sent out there, in the morning, she would say, what are you doing in the backyard? It's full of soup. Because they had three dogs or something, which she let go crazy, you know. So I started meeting with the Lord. And so during that time, we would, I would share with her about the gospel. Here's what you need to know. So after the surgery, the brain, brain tumor was removed, and she's well, and she said, I see the kingdom of God now, somewhere in the midst of all of that. But interestingly enough is in the midst of that, uh, a black nurse comes in. Uh, she said, my, my neck was super painful, massages her neck. And she said the pain literally dissipated. My dad went to thank the nurse, went to the nurse's station, and they said, no black nurse in this unit, no black nurse on this floor. It was a nurse? Yeah. I said, nope. Miracle? That one probably. That one probably. Well, my sister is living till to this day, and came to Christ as a result of that. Miracle? Miracle. So miracle, signs and wonders, three words that are used in Scripture, talk about miraculous power. A sign is an indication, a miraculous indication representing, pointing to something else or a marvel, a wonder, uh, something extraordinary, miracle, signs, and wonder. I notice either one of two things, right? Either, particularly for believers, you go, oh, I don't really know, to, oh, let's chase miracles, and no, it's all about miracles, and if you don't do miracles, you're not safe, right? So, and, and I think for most believers, how many say, I have no idea how to think about miracles. I just don't know how to think about them, right? Uh, I, you know, oh, I don't know, right? I don't know, because it tends to be either poo-poo them, right, or we're in search of them, right? We're looking for them kind of all over, running after them, seeking power. When we sent Josh to, uh, to Texas to go through the, whatever that thing he was in, during that time, a group of them went to Florida, I think, and some guy was, you know, he was kicking people, right, to, he to heal them, and and gold in the teeth. I mean, it's just this bizarre kind of seeking of displays of power, right? So as a result of that, you go like, oh, forget it. I, I don't even know how to think about miracles, so I don't want to mess with them, right? So we don't know what to do, but they're definitely signs of wonder. Now, David Hume is supposedly the most famous opponent of miracles. He defined a miracle as a transgression of the law of nature. He said there's laws in nature when a law is broken, 
that's a miracle. And he said, what we can say is that laws of nature are, have been established, they're firm and unalterable based on experience, right? And he said, if it, if it appears in, in, in our experience, therefore it's normal. So there are no miracles. In other words, that, that, was his, that was his way of explaining away miracles, right? So you have, of course, some out in the world today that would say miracles don't exist. They don't happen. Why? Particularly in our age, because we are in the modern age. We are in the age of modernity. In other words, it, I only believe in what I could feel, touch, see, measure, right? And so therefore, miracles are what we can't see, touch, or measure. They break, right, our senses, if you will. They break natural law. And if that were to happen, then there would have to be something above natural law, which would be supernatural. And that would cause me to ask, well, what is that, <laughs> right? If, if there's a natural law, you have to ask, of course, who set the natural law in place. So R.C. Sproul said, what's the deal? So, and I'm gonna, he said, the purpose of a miracle is not to prove the existence of God. The purpose of the miracle is to validate the messenger of the word of God. Thanks for listening. I hope you have greater hope, assurance, and confidence in your life and a deeper trust in the God of the Bible and His Son, Jesus Christ. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you His peace, His shalom in your soul and in your life. Until next time, may God bless you and keep you.